Good morning, Abundant Life Church. The last two weeks we have been in our series, Worth Fighting For. We've talked about fighting for your marriage. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you a very special guest, a member here at Abundant Life Church and also a professor at Western College and clinical psychologist, Dr. Ken Logan. He's going to be talking to you about fighting for your friendship. So would you please give a warm, Abundant Life welcome to Dr. Ken Logan. Good morning, church. How are you guys? George has got a high bar for me this morning. I don't know. Um, in case you're wondering, I'm not Pastor George. That was Pastor George. Um, I thought yesterday I went and got my hair cut for you guys. And for a split second, I thought maybe I should shave my head so I can look really cool like George does. But uh, luckily, my wife was there and she saved the day. So um, not, no offense to George. Or Pastor Mike, or, well, okay, I'll stop there. Okay. Yeah, good morning. Um, the uh, topics that, that we're covering right now deal with uh, worth fighting for. Have you guys been enjoying it so far? We've, my wife and I have been benefiting from this series greatly, and uh, uh, I'm in preparing for uh, this sermon. Let me get this open here. Perfect. All right. I have a small iPad. George has the really big one that fits in those really cool little stands that they got. Mine kept falling out, so I'm going to prop mine up here with my iPhone. Um, yeah, we've been enjoying this series. Uh, it's been called Worth Fighting For, and he spent the last couple of weekends talking about marriage. And what was interesting about hearing about marriage was I was able to think about those concepts in a lot of different kinds of relationships, not just marital relationships. Were you guys able to do that too? So that's a good information there. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, friendships. Um, interesting thing about friendships, uh, applying these concepts to friendships, you're going to find the same type of issue show up that showed up last time, is that when you think about applying these concepts to friendships, it's going to apply across the board to relationships in general as well. And so um, it's, uh, it's going to be an exciting thing to do that this morning. I was told that we needed to um, welcome uh, folks from our other campuses before I get started. Uh, this, I think we have a campus in uh, Sandy, is that correct? Okay. Hi, guys in Sandy. Um, also, we have one in Vancouver. Hi, guys in Vancouver. Hey, I'm a California guy. The fact that I'm remembering all of the names of these towns around us is, is a miraculous. So welcome, you guys. I don't think we have anybody in overflow today. We've got lots of room. So just in case, if you're in overflow, good morning. Um, I'm going to try to look at the camera like the big dogs do, you know, the, the big pastors. So we'll see if we can remember to do that. All right. It's funny. I was reading a quote from uh, Dan Bennett, and he said this about friendships. I thought it'd be a good way to start. He says, nothing is friendlier in this world than a wet dog. Does anybody have a dog? <laughs> Has anybody given a dog a bath lately? Isn't that interesting when they're wet? They seem to be wanna, they want to be closer to you when they're, when they're not wet. And they walk right up next to you, and then what do they do? They just shake like crazy. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, but it gets the conversation started. Um, friendships relationships, worth fighting for. I, I was thinking, what is it that we're fighting for in relationships? How, what is it that we're, how are we defending friendships? And I got to thinking, you know, the issue probably isn't so much out there. 
We're not really defending relationships and friendships with, from things out there, perhaps. It got me thinking, I think we're, we're fighting for friendships against things that are in here. Fighting things that are in here. Interestingly enough, uh, in, in marriage and friendships, isn't it interesting that when things get stressful, when life gets busy, friendships and relationship enrichment tends to take a back burner to all the stuff that's going on in our lives. Have you noticed that too? I, I started thinking, going, man, that's one of the first things that goes to the back burner. Date night with my wife is the first thing that goes to the back burner. And it's not like we're choosing to. There's just this natural drift that kind of goes in that direction. Um, hanging out with my friends uh, and engaging people with conversation, reaching out for support. We're so busy and there's so much going on. Friendships tends to take they tend to take the back burner uh, in dealing with stress. Um, as George said, I'm a clinical psychologist, and I work at Western Seminary. Something I noticed was, and I've been doing counseling now for about 26 years. Anybody want to guess what the major complaint has to deal with when people call for help? Yeah, somebody said it. It has to do with the issue around relationship difficulties. Number one complaint, not counting peace officer evaluations, fitness for duty evaluations, and neuropsych evaluations. If we're not talking about those things, people are usually calling because they're having struggles in relationships. Spouses, family members, siblings, friends. Um, that's kind of interesting to me. I read some research not long ago from one of my trainers up at the University of Washington. He was estimating, and, or actually researching, to find out the amount of time between when a couple discovers that there's an issue that they need to work on in their marriage and when they actually seek out help for that issue. Anybody want to guess how long a period of time that is? Two years, any others? I'm a teacher, I'm sorry, I'm going to get this dialogue thing going today. Five years... It's 6.9 years between when a couple realizes there's an issue to work on and when they actually seek out help. I started looking through some of the data I have with the clients I work with, and I started looking at the difference between Christian couples and non-Christian couples. And what was fascinating to me is Christian couples, in my caseload, they wait even longer than non-Christian couples. There's, there's an issue here, you guys. There's an issue here to kind of look at and work on. And that's what I want to talk about today in terms of fighting for friendships, fighting for relationships, is to begin to understand what's going on inside of us that's keeping us from reaching out for support around these issues, from keeping our friendships on the front burner of the stove instead of them going to the back burner of the stove. Really, really important because you and I are made to be in relationship with people. Have you heard of this before? I've read it in books, I've heard it in many, many sermons, um, and it turns out that it's actually true. My first point uh, today, uh, we'll have put it up on the board here, or on the screen, is that you and I are made to be in relationship. We're made to be in relationship. And I'm going to prove that to you today. I'm not just going to give it to you as a theological principle only. I'm going to show it to you physiologically in terms of how God's made us. The verse that we'll focus on is out of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. And this is the paraphrased message uh, version from Eugene Peterson. He says, I love how he says this. He says, God spoke. I love that. It's actually a very relational thing to do. Let us make human beings in our image. That's really interesting. Our image. 
Not my image, but our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. Interesting. We're made in his image. So we're made by his design. He designed it this way. And we're reflecting his image. Interesting. Very interesting. Some recent research that came out over the last 12 years has begun looking at revamping the way we understand the physiology of what it means to be a human being and how it differs from other uh, animals. One of the things they've been noticing is, have you guys ever heard of the central nervous system before? There's kind of two branches. Anybody know what this is? This is like class, right? This is a review for the test. In fact, there's an exam in your bulletin. We're going to have do you remember the two branches of the ner- nervous system? There's the central nervous system, right? There's the peripheral nervous system. Remember this? Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Others are like, be quiet, I'm having flashbacks. Don't say this. I didn't pass that class or whatever. Um, <clears throat> there's one branch. You kind of branch it down. There's one part of the nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. Autonomic, think of it as meaning automatic. Um, case in point, um, imagine yourself up in, the, uh, in the, the woods, you're hiking on a trail, and you round a corner, and you come across a bear. The way God's designed us, you and I don't have to sit down and have a committee meeting to decide what it is we're going to do at this moment. I think what we should do, you guys, is we should make our heart beat a little bit more. We should probably do something with our eyes. What should we do with our eyes? Um, we probably need to see better than we typically do. So let's, let's dilate our pupils really big. And let's get our hands nice and sweaty in case he gets a hold of us. We can kind of slip off of him or something. You know? Let's do all these things. Uh, you don't have to do that. You don't have to think about those things. Those things happen autonomically, automatically. Um, that part of our nervous system comes off of a, a, a branch of uh, what's called the vagal nerve comes out of the brainstem, and it permeates into our chest, uh, controlling our lungs and our heartbeat and uh, some other things that go on with it. But it's a fast system. It's really quick. It kicks in really, really fast. There's another part of it called the, the uh, parasympathetic nervous system. So you have the sympathetic system, bear in the woods, fight or flight, they call it. Then you have the parasympathetic. This is the, they call it the rest and digest system. This is the, they call it the break. It turns out there's a third system in this that's unique to human beings. Other animals have elements of this, but not to the degree of quality or to the degree of specificity that you and I have it. And what's fascinating about it is it also comes out of the brainstem, but the nerves innervate, of all things, our face. Now think about this in terms of relatedness. Specifically, it innervates our vocal cords. How important is voice in relationship? Have you ever been helped by somebody's voice? Have you ever been harmed by somebody's voice? This is relational, it's social engagement. Um, there's another part that innervates our middle ear, interestingly enough. How important is your hearing when it comes to relationship? Have you ever... My wife says it to me sometimes. I, I feel like you're, you're, li- you're, you're hearing what I'm saying, but you're not listening to what I'm saying. 
we have um, the, that part of the nervous system literally shapes the middle ear and it forms itself so that you can focus your attention in terms of what you're picking up on an aud uh, auditory information. Um, it's a little bit like having a dog, right? A dog has the ears on the outside, so you have all this kind of stuff going on. You know, some, they hear a sound over here, they're all, hmm, hmm, right? We do the same thing, but it's happening inside of our head. Um, other parts of our face, it, it actually innervates the uh, muscles, the striatic muscles in our face. Have you ever been influenced by somebody's facial expression before? Right? My favorite one is the facial expression of contempt. You ever been harmed by contempt before? You can all do it. Let me actually talk you guys through it. What it starts with, it starts with a flexing of a muscle in your cheek from the social engagement nervous system called the buccinator muscle, and it forms an unflattering dimple. And it's usually on one side or the other. Uh, I don't know if it's related to handedness, but you can do it right now. You can go like this. See it? This is cross-cultural, by the way. It's everywhere. <laughs> it's usually accompanied with an eye roll to the top of the head. And when you do that, you'll feel it. You'll feel contempt when you do this on your face. Flex, and then roll the eyes. <laughs> See it? You feel it? It's a nonverbal expression of disgust. Anybody raising teenagers right now? <laughs> uh, you get exposed to it all the time, depending upon the teen that you have. And if you're really good at it, teens can do it in a split second. You can do it in a split second. It looks like this. See it? Right? Imagine if I were your teacher, you were turning in a paper, and I picked it up, and I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, my God. How would, they, how would you feel, right? Social engagement. Social engagement. Keep that in mind, because what we're learning is, is what happens in terms of human beings, social engagement, relatedness, friendships, relationships, are incredibly important to us to be able to function in a healthy way. Now, you might be coming from a background to where you've been really hurt in relationships. And that, too, speaks to the vulnerability and the need, the way that we're designed. You're more likely, research says, you're more likely to develop post-traumatic stress disorder when you've had relational betrayal and violation than if you've just experienced a natural uh, disaster. Now, that's horrible, too. But there's something about relatedness that's so important. Think of this a little bit. If you've been harmed in a relationship, doesn't it make sense that you're probably going to heal in a relationship too? Does that make sense? Something to consider. Um, we're made by his design and in his image. This relatedness stuff is really, really important. And I want you to kind of think about that as we kind of press through some of these things uh, that we're going to talk about today. All right. One more problem that I have is that I'm a seminary professor. Buckle up. I mean, the seatbelts are on the chair. Just go ahead and buckle up. Um, I'm going to try to get us out on time today. Okay, we've still got about 20 minutes. We're good. I'm trying to monitor all the stuff that George just does. You know, he's so used to it. Um, let me go on to this next point here. Um, point two looks again at what are these things that we're doing on the inside that we need to understand are going on in order to fight for our friendships. And the second point is this, our experience in relationship to others reveals our true character. 
Our relationships reveal our character. All right. Now, think about this. When you walked in today and you came into the foyer, that's one presentation of who you are. But think about the last presentation of who you are, the last time you were in a good conflict with somebody. Ouch. That's especially hard for me because I'm up here teaching this message this morning. And as George confessed last week, it's not that they've got it all figured out. They're in process, right? I've got the same issue. I've got the same issue you guys do, and you have the same issue I do. God reveals to us who we are in our relational experiences. What's that about? I think what that's about is the development of self-awareness. It's about self-awareness. How do I show up? Do you ever notice how adept we are at describing the problems that other people have much better than we are at describing our own? I, my wife and I call it the, the elbow, right? We're sitting in church and pastor's saying something. I'm like, oh, yeah, she totally needs to work on that, <laughs> right? And she's doing the same thing back to me. Isn't that interesting how we do that? Um, it's really, really interesting how we show up we're very adept at diagnosing other people, but we stink at diagnosing ourselves. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Clint Eastwood's movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Remember that movie? They just don't make spaghetti westerns like they used to. They just, we need to get back into that again. But do you need to do the whistle? You know what I'm talking about, the whistle sound? Someone do it for me. Oh yeah, there it is. Remember the... <laughs> It's got the whistle, you know, and then there's a wah, wah, wah kind of thing at the end of it. I love that. That's just so cool. That's just so cool. That's what I think it is we need to do. We need to identify good stuff. We need to identify bad stuff in ourselves. And we also need to identify the ugly stuff because we've all got it. We've all got it. Can we be honest? Can I be honest? It's like Dr. Joyce Brothers. Some of you know who that is. Can we be honest here? Um, none of us are perfect. That should take a lot of weight off of you. It should take a lot of weight off of you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We've got all three. All of us do. To encourage ourselves to move on towards growth is what we're shooting for. But, you know, we can't change what we don't diagnose in ourselves. We can't change it. I love this verse in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Uh, this is the message version. He says, so don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. Complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of your master Jesus. Without these qualities, this is the key point, you can't see what's right before you, oblivious that your old sinful nature has been wiped off the books. Taking on these new attributes is a big part of seeing what we're not like anymore. Some of us hide. You know what I mean? We don't really deal with this stuff. We kind of 
put it over there and pretend like it doesn't exist. I think that's, if I've learned anything from doing counseling, that stuff just, it just stores up trouble for another day. God's notorious about pursuing those parts of us. We think he wants to hang out with the good parts, right? Then he comes knocking on the door. Hey, can the bad stuff come out and play? And I'm like, no, you don't want to relate to that stuff. But actually, he does. He really, really does. And there's something about relationships that reveal what it is that God's wanting to hang out with. I love putting it this way. How many Lord of the Rings fans are out here? Come on, let's... George is gone. We can be honest. How many Lord of the Rings fans are there? Okay. I feel like we're all in a continuum between somewhere between being Gollum on one side of it and being Jesus on the other. We're all in this continuum, right? And what's funny, I've been in church a long time. I've been, I've been, in, I've been a professional Christian for many, many years. <laughs> 32 years I've been a believer. One of the things I've noticed about church and, and the way that we do church is that we fake it a lot. We pretend to be more like Jesus than we actually are. I, I, I know what it's like in the foyer, but, but I also know what it's like in the car ride on the way to the church. And that's all of us. And that, that's the good and the bad and the ugly, right? God wants relationship with the bad. He wants relationship with the ugly so we can work on these things. We're all on this continuum, somewhere between Gollum. Every time I say the word Gollum, I want to Gollum, Gollum, right? Those of you who watch the movie, you know what I'm talking about. We're all on this continuum. It's not about comparing ourselves to each other as to where we're at. It's, it's kind of like a, a game that you play by yourself. You're not competing. You're in on a, you're on a process. And are you moving in the direction of Jesus? That's the question. And part of doing that is getting real honest with ourselves about who we really are. And friendships tend to bring that stuff out. The other scripture, Galatians 5, 23 through 24 says, but what happens when we live God's way? Well, he brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others. This is something, this is one of the fruits that start growing in people who start moving and shifting from this golem kind of reality towards this Jesus reality. You start developing affection for others, an exuberance about life. You become peaceful. The serenity piece is is an issue here. We develop a willingness to stick with things as opposed to wanting to discard them. We develop a sense of compassion. Not just like, I have to care about people because that's what my duty is, but you actually start feeling it, right? It's like um, uh, the Grinch. Remember the Grinch? The Grinch who stole Christmas? And at the end of the movie, uh, Sue says, and his heart became one size bigger. (laughs) Went from a size one to a size two. This kind of happens. Uh, for those who've been loved much, they start being able to love better because you're, you're experiencing it. And a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life. Anybody have any control issues? Trying to force things. Any of you trying to change somebody right now? I mean, can we be honest? I think we could all raise our hands there a little bit. Um, 
you do know you can't change anybody else. That's between them and God. There's something about surrendering that that allows God to start doing things. Not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. I think the development of these traits take time and they take work. Um, there's suffering and pain involved with this kind of stuff. And I think that's partly why we tend to back burner friendships. When things get tough, how do we respond? Do we press in and work it through? Or do we retreat? Do we pretend that it's not happening? Do we feign forgiveness, I call it? Or do we actually work it through? Can I challenge you guys in a couple areas? If you're you're serious about this and you really want to work on this, can I challenge you in this a little bit? Let me give you two ideas. If you want to grow in this way, one thing would be is to find a couple friends in your life. This is why friendships are so important. And I want you to meet with them at least once every six months, maybe even quarterly. And I want you to ask them these questions. Tell me three qualities that I have that I'm doing really well in. And then when they tell you, take it in and celebrate and be grateful. And then, here comes the other one, sports fans. Ask them for three qualities that you need to work on. Take it in, own it, and commit to working on those things in some way. You do that every six months, every quarter. And what starts to happen is, is you start becoming less like Gollum and more like Jesus. The sobering part of that for me is when I do that, I start realizing there's more of me in these situations that are frustrating me than I realized. There's, I've got more issues involved in here than just those other people do that I was so easy to assess or that I was so quick to assess. And many times my reaction to those issues complicates it to the point to where we can't work on those issues. It's very sobering. It's a challenging, scary, terrifying thing to do, but I challenge you to kind of think about that. The other thing I would encourage you to do, if you're serious about this, I want you to assess how you show up when you're in a conflict with somebody. Do you run? Do you criticize? Do you attack? Or do you just complain? Do you become defensive? No, it's you. This, you guys know what attack-defend patterns are like, right? It's funny. It's like you defend by covering your face and you try to hit the person with your other hand at the same time. It, that doesn't work, by the way. Uh, the antidote to defensiveness, of course, is learning to accept responsibility for at least even just a portion of what it is that the other folks are complaining about. So attack, defend patterns. Um, Stonewalling, avoidance, running away, you know? It's like this. It's like, okay, 10 more minutes, the game will be on, and then she can't touch me. All right, guys, that doesn't work. Um, Stonewalling actually causes an increase in women's heart rate. Does that make sense? Stonewalling doesn't work. Stonewalling and gals, for those of you who are suffering with a spouse or a friend who stonewalls, understand that stonewalling is a problem-solving technique. Those folks are trying to relax because they're feeling overwhelmed. Um, it's not a very good problem-solving technique because it causes heart rate increasing. It's, it frustrates people. 
But the stonewalling strategy doesn't work. You have to find other ways to relax and then learn to engage in ways that are safe. The worst of all, all of them, though, is contempt that I just demonstrated earlier. The expression of disgust in conflict. Assess yourself on those four things. Criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. Contempt is like sulfuric acid poured on friendship or poured on love. And it's, some, it's, kind of, it's a way of saying in some way you're more morally superior than the person that you're talking to. I am above you. I am way more spiritual than you are. I am a much better parent than you are. I am a much better friend than you are. That stuff. Um, the sadness with contempt is, is too leveled in this challenge. The sadness with it is there's no antidote for it. You literally have to give it up. You can't soften contempt. The other thing is, is that contempt is highly correlated to the number of infectious illnesses that the partner gets that year because it suppresses their immune function. The more disgusted I am with you, the less effective your immune system is going to be in terms of fighting off colds and illnesses and diseases. And that includes cancer, by the way. It's very important to work those things out. Assess yourself. That's the second point here. Assess yourself. See if there's too much criticism, if there's too much defensiveness, too much stonewalling, or too much uh, contempt. And I, I challenge you to work on those things. Work on those things. And if you really want to assess it, ask your partner if it's showing up. Ask your friend if it's showing up in your conflict. Now, you might all be going, oh my gosh, I do, the, I do all four of those things all the time. Well, rest assured, so do I. So does the person sitting next to you. And so does George, by the way, I'm sure. I'm sure he and Ann struggle with this, too. He'd be the first to admit it. I know George. I know he would say that. We all have differing degrees of this. Um, it's if you're doing it to a PhD level that's the issue. Okay? And also, it's the issue of are you able to repair the relationship after a conflict that's the issue. Um, counselors can predict divorce proneness with about a nine, what is it, 94% accuracy rate within 10 years simply by assessing those four things in a conflict. And that's called a, it's a SPAF assessment is what they call it. Um, if you need help with it, seek out help because sometimes it's more difficult to deal with on your own. The last point is this. Biblical growth will always include other people or what I'll call today and finish with or end on here is the body. Other people, the body. Scripture, Proverbs 13, 20 says this, become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, so let's do it. I love that. Peterson's got a unique take on this. Let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. We have to talk about the effect of the body of Christ. And the body is us, guys. Why is that important? It's important because... My plan A is different than God's plan A. My plan A is God take this away from me. 
I pray, he takes it away, and then it's done. Now, I'm from a charismatic background. I've seen some crazy stuff of God taking things away instantaneously. Um, but I don't know about you guys, part of the definition of a miracle is, is that it doesn't happen very often. God's plan A also involves something else. It involves you and I connecting with each other and supporting with each other as we walk through these things that we deal with. Do you have that friend that you can call and connect with? And afterwards, the situation's still there, the problems still exist, the pain is still an issue, but all of a sudden, you feel better. You'll, you'll use phrases like, I said it, and I felt a weight was just lift off of my shoulders. Or, I feel like I got something off of my chest. In a lot of ways, you guys, that's God's plan A, that we need each other. I don't know what you're going through today, but relationship, and one of the things I love about this church is that's what this place is about. It's about transparency, honesty, confession, and restoration within the context of those connections. Relationship's very, very, very important. C.S. Lewis says this in uh, his book, The Four Loves. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable to love is to be vulnerable relationships involves pain sometimes but it's good pain it's not bad pain safe connections with people will evoke these things in us that we need to address and deal with would you bow your heads with me well, let's pray if you're interested in deepening your friendships to participate in this process, to fight for your friendships, let me ask you to uh, uh, deepen that and commit to that by praying this with me. Father, help me deepen my friendships and my relationships in the body. Reveal to me my strength and my weaknesses. Help me to celebrate what we're doing, what I'm doing well in, and challenge me to know and grow the areas that need to be changed. Keeping your heads bowed, I have all of you pray this with me. For those of you who might desire to become a friend of God today, 
and to join in this body that we're talking about. Pray with me this. Father, I see my need to know you. Help me know you deeply. Forgive me of my sins and change me to become more like you. I commit my life to you today. In Christ's name, amen.